going to begin this series by taking a look at a passage of scripture that comes from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Now, a few years before he wrote this letter, Paul had started the church in Corinth. And it got started off pretty well. But it wasn't long after he left to go on to other mission fields that the church began to struggle. It started forgetting the why and the what for of it all. And members of the church started returning to old patterns of behavior, forgetting the responsibility that comes with living a Christian life. Paul became very concerned about them, and so he wrote his first letter to the church in Corinth, what we call 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, he addressed seven significant issues the church was having. Seven significant issues and challenges the church was having, hoping that that, that letter would help to get them back on track, you know, the why and the what for of it all. And, but the letter didn't help. In fact, things got a little bit worse. And so Paul kind of dropped what he was doing and went to Corinth in, help, in hopes of that helping them to get back on track. But that just made matters all the worse. People started questioning his authority and his integrity. Having left from that visit, Paul wrote them another letter. This one was a little more scathing. We'll call it a letter of convicting grace as he was trying to help people understand the seriousness of what he was talking about and the importance of them returning to the why and the what for of it all. A little side note. We don't know how many letters Paul wrote to church, but we know that he wrote at least three. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and this one that is more of the scathing, convicting grace letter. We don't know what happened to that letter. Maybe when the church read it, they didn't like it, and they threw it away. Some scholars believe that it actually was kept, and after he wrote 2 Corinthians, sometime later they added it on to the end of that letter, which is why the end of that letter has a little more harsh tone to it. We don't know for certain, and it doesn't really matter. We know that when he wrote that letter, he sent it with a trusted colleague, Titus, to hand-deliver it to the church. And then he waited for a report. He got so anxious that he ended up leaving Ephesus where he's engaged in ministry, traveling to Macedonia where he could meet with Titus. And once there, Titus brought his report and the news was finally good news. The church was beginning to understand and get back on track. That's when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. He wrote it to them to encourage them, to remind them of the responsibility of the Christian life, to ask them to forgive the folks that had led them astray, reminding them that the ministry of Jesus Christ was always one of reconciliation. And it's in the fifth chapter where he, we hear Paul call Christians ambassadors for Christ. Now, an ambassador is an authorized representative Ambassadors from our country are given authority to represent our country and our country's interests. So too, as a Christian, as ambassadors for Christ, we are given authority to represent Jesus Christ. Now, that's a pretty big deal. 
to be given authority to represent Jesus Christ. And yet that's exactly what Christians do. We represent Jesus Christ. As his apprentices, his disciples, we were learning about what it is that he taught, what it is that he did, so that we can represent him faithfully to the world. And when folks find out that we are Christians, they look, about how, they look upon how it is that we talk and we act, we behave, in order to pass judgment upon whether this Christian thing is something they'd even be interested in. We represent Jesus Christ. We are his ambassadors. St. Paul went on to say that the ministry of Jesus Christ was one of reconciliation. And so, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we present the good news of reconciliation. The love of God, the love that God has for us. The relationship we can have with Almighty God. And what it is that God intends for our relationship with one another. This ministry of reconciliation. Now, we carry out this responsibility of being ambassadors for Christ in lots of ways. One of those ways is simply inviting folks to come to church. Since the ministry of the church is one of reconciliation, that's an important part of being an ambassador to Christ, inviting people to come where they can experience the love of God and how it is that we love one another, a ministry of reconciliation. But that's only one of the ways that we serve as ambassadors for Christ. Because we all have stories to tell of how it is that Christ has impacted our lives. And it's good for us to be prepared with those stories because you never know when the opportunity is going to come where somebody somewhere needs to hear that story. And in sharing that story, we are carrying out the work of being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So, I say to our ambassadors here, are you ready to hear the word of God? Let's turn our attention to Scripture. Courtney? A little earlier, I said Dennis was our liturgist, but we made a quick swap. Courtney's our liturgist, so welcome, Courtney. Acts 1, 13 through 14. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has been passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us, so that we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to be God. God. Thank you, Courtney. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On July 1st of 1991, 
Reverend Ed Ramsey was appointed to try and start a church in the newly developing Sun City Summerlin area of Las Vegas. He brought with him his wife, Chris, the first member of the church, and she brought with her her mother, the second member of the church, and they started gathering some folks. Didn't take too long until Ed had his first gathering of this fledgling group of people. Seven people gathering around a table, dreaming of starting a church in this part of town. Little could they have dreamed, I mean, little could they have known what would become of their efforts. I mean, they were just trying to start something. They could not have ever imagined that what they would start would have become what we now know. How did that happen, though? That what this group of seven people started became what we now know. How could it be that what had to be the smallest congregation in our district, seven people, would grow into the largest congregation in our district with some 1,600 people who consider this their church home? Those first people who gather around that table, they didn't know what was going to come of their efforts. And I, I wonder why they even bothered to try. I mean, it's not easy to start a new church. And there were other churches around, other churches in the area. So why would they have even bothered to try? What was the why and what for of it all? Now, I wasn't there back then when that first group of seven people was meeting around that table. But I knew Reverend Ed Ramsey, and I knew what was important to him, and I knew that his presence had an impact upon the developing congregation. I knew that for Ed, celebration was fundamental. Ed was always ready for a party, and he wanted to celebrate. You know, the gospel is good news, and so worship was, got, was celebration and and for those of you who remember those first Easter's with Ed, he'd get out balloons and have people bat him around because he wanted to celebrate and have a party. That was important to Ed. And so too was having a simple church without the politics and personal agendas of people wanting power. He simply wanted a place of celebration where people would find simple ways to bless other people's lives. Those first people who gathered with him, they had to know that in gathering, they would be called upon to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, to invite people to, to be a part of what it is that was beginning at that time, to invite people into a place of celebration where people could find a way to bless somebody else's life. They invited. People came. They welcomed. The church began to grow. But now, if you really want to think about what was the why and the what for of it all, we have to go back to what it was that motivated them to show up around that table in the first place. And, and for that, we have to really start thinking about the call of God. How does that God lays things on our hearts that God wants us to do, nudges us? Why else? Would we go about doing something like starting a new church 
if it wasn't for the call of God laid upon our hearts, that this is something God wants us to do. And so they listened to that call and they went as ambassadors. And the Holy Spirit was at work among them, equipping them for the work. Even as the Spirit was going before them, preparing people's hearts for the invitation, the why and the what for of it all, God's call upon our lives, our response, seeking to be faithful, God helping us along the journey. The why and the what for of it all is pretty simple. God calls. The people of God respond as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. God helps us with the unfolding plan of God. Something new is born. The why and the what for of it all. Well, <clears throat> this group of people, as they began to invite and welcome folks, the church began to grow so quickly that within one year, the church chartered as a United Methodist congregation. And it continued to grow. After six years, Reverend Ed Ramsey retired. And at that point, they had 150 people in the church. And that's a pretty good start. Good enough that, that what was happening at Desert Spring rose to the forefront uh, as far as attention goes at the annual conference. Remember, our conference is the one who sent Ed to start the church. Our conference paid his salary while he was starting the church. And as this church grew in vitality and in health, the conference began to see that this church be could become a flagship church for the whole district. And so Bishop William Dew decided to replace Ed with an up-and-coming young pastor named Reverend Dan Morley. And Bishop Dew set the bar for his ministry very high, telling Dan that he believed this church could be the flagship of our district, and he wanted Dan to grow it to a 1,000 people. That's setting the bar really high. Dan started doing his ministry here, and the church continued to grow. In fact, in many ways, it really took off, not only in being able to build first buildings, but the church grew to 500 people in worship. 11 years from the time seven people gathered around a table, the church had 500 people in worship. But growth is hard to sustain. And in year 12, the growth kind of plateaued. And then through a series of circumstances, the church ended up going into a period of decline, shrinking 20%. And if the church would have stayed on that trajectory of decline, then today there would be 240 people who would call church Desert Spring their church home. And we'd still be worshiping in a multi-purpose building. The opportunity for building a sanctuary would have passed us by. But that's not our story. That's not our story. For after this period of decline, we committed ourselves to a period of revitalization. And the why and what for of it all became revitalization as we returned to our roots of creating something of celebration and worship and finding simple ways to bless other people's lives. The why and what for of it all became revitalization as we found ways to offer the love of Jesus Christ in service to others. And the church began to grow again in vitality and in size. After about five years, the church had grown 60%. And we knew that 
our why and what for of it all could no longer be a revitalization because we were revitalized. We were a healthy and growing church that needed to grow up. And so we began to focus on what would be the next chapter of Desert Springs life. What is our why and what for of it all right now? Through a period of prayerful discernment, the leaders of the church came to understand a single purpose. That God's why and what for for us would be to develop deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ. I preached on this last Sunday. People who love God, love others, transform the greater community. Everything that we do at Desert Spring has to do with the why and what for of it all, developing deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ. And the church continued to grow. Now on an average Sunday, about 800 people in, in the pews, when you add our online worship, we're approaching that 1,000 that goal that Bishop Dew set back in 1997. 27 years ago, that group of seven people around that table would have never dreamed that this is what would have come of their efforts. The church that we now love. And I do love this church. In my life, I've made some good decisions and I've made some bad decisions. And I suspect that may be true for most all of us here. But when I think of the best decisions that I've made in my life, that short list of the best decisions, the best decisions I've ever made in my life include deciding to become a Christian and then deciding to, to marry my wife, Jerry, together deciding to have children answering God's call to serve in ministry and asking to come and to be the pastor of this church. I count pastoring this church as one of the greatest blessings of my life. And when it comes to counting our blessings, we do well to find a moment to think about the why and the what for of all the blessings God has given us. As I think about that myself, the why and the what for of all that God has blessed me with, with all that God has blessed this church with. However I might answer that question, for me, for us, this I know, God is not finished with this church. There's so much more yet to come. Like seven people 27 years ago gathering around a table with no clue of how big God's plan really was, we at Desert Spring have no clue how big God's plan might be and what it is that God has in store for us over the next 27 years. We know this little piece of it, though. And that is that God's laying it upon the hearts of some of our folks to do something new yet again. To, to, to do something new with some new people in a new part of town. To give launch to the Northwest Campus of Desert Spring United Methodist Church. And like those seven people gathered around that table 27 years ago, 
we have no clue all that God wants to do in northwest part of town. We don't know the fullness of God's plan for out there. All we know is that God is calling us to go. And as ambassadors of Christ, we have said yes. Which means the why and the what for of it all really hasn't changed in 27 years. God calls. We say yes. As ambassadors of Christ, God helps us as we go. And we're blessed to be a part of the unfolding plan of God. This plan for the Northwest, it actually began about a year and a half ago with about a dozen people gathered around a table. That's almost double what they had when they started 27 years ago. We had about a dozen people around the table dreaming and beginning to plan what it is that we felt God was calling us toward. Since then, that number has grown to about 40 people now. And we know that over the, the weeks to come, there'll be many more who will be added to that. So that we'll have an inaugural worship service on Christmas Eve of this year in Somerset Academy's auditorium, Somerset Sky Canyon, with the official launch of worship being on January the 6th. At that point, we're going to have a presence in the northwest part of town, a presence that will allow us as ambassadors of Christ to engage with people that up to now we have not been blessed to engage with. And we're going to be able to, to, to see the unfolding plan of God as we seek to respond to God's call and as one day gives way to a week, gives way to a month, gives way to a year, gonna come up, there's going to come a point in time when our hearts will be overflowing with gratitude that God allowed us to be a part of God's unfolding plan in that part of town. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe 27 years from now, there'll be a, a pastor at the Northwest campus who will be standing before the congregation remembering us and God's call upon our lives and our willingness to step forth to go as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Not all of us are going to go out there. Lord knows I hope not. We need a congregation here, right? There's going to be some, a few of us, who go to start that. But it's a ministry for all of us. It's a ministry that we can be engaged in right here and right now, every day, simply by praying that we're faithful and responding to God's call. A simple prayer. Maybe something like, thank you, God for the opportunity to be in ministry with some new people. Lead us and guide us as we seek to be faithful. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen.